This is VOA News. Via remote, I'm Marissa Melton. North Korea launched a suspected intercontinental ballistic missile. South Korea's military reported on Friday. It comes a day after Pyongyang warned of more aggressive steps in response to increased military activity by the United States and its allies. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff reported the launch at about 10.20 a.m. local time, noting that the missile was headed toward the sea off North Korea's east coast. No other details were immediately available, including how far the missile flew or where exactly it landed. It's the second consecutive day that North Korea has launched a ballistic missile. On Thursday, North Korea launched a short-range ballistic missile that landed in the sea off its east coast. Just hours earlier, North Korean Foreign Minister Cho Sun-hui vowed a fiercer response to recent steps by the United States, Japan, and South Korea to bolster extended deterrence against the North. In recent weeks, North Korea has unleashed an unprecedented barrage of missiles, including some that have prompted air raid sirens and shelter warnings in Japan and South Korea. North Korea says it's a response to the increased military exercises by the United States and its allies, but Washington says its increased drills are necessary as a response to the North Korean test. The United Nations nuclear watchdog's 35-nation Board of Governors passed a resolution ordering Iran to cooperate urgently with the agency's investigation into uranium traces found at three undeclared sites, this according to diplomats at Thursday's closed-door vote. The resolution was drafted by the United States, Britain, France, and Germany. This is VOA News. A U.S. House of Representatives committee will release its report probing the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol by former President Donald Trump supporters next month. This according to the panel's Democratic chair, Benny Thompson. The select committee's work will likely end in January when a new Republican-controlled Congress is sworn in. Thompson has also appointed a subcommittee to investigate issues, including unanswered subpoenas for Trump and others and whether to send transcripts of interviews to the Department of Justice. A Dutch court said Thursday that Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 was shot down in 2014 by a Russian-made missile fired from a field in eastern Ukraine. The ruling came as the court convicted two Russians and a pro-Moscow separatist in absentia and sentenced them to life imprisonment. One Russian was acquitted because of a lack of evidence. The verdict comes more than eight years after the Boeing 777 flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur was blown out of the sky over Ukraine, killing all 298 passengers and crew members. The mid-air explosion and crash happened amid a conflict between pro-Russia rebels and Ukrainian forces. Ukrainian officials reported fresh missile strikes Thursday in multiple parts of the country. Targets included gas facilities. Ukraine's foreign minister has stressed the need for speeding up delivery of air defense systems. He cited the success of the National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile System that Ukrainian forces began using earlier this month. Kuleva also said he's convinced that the time has come for Ukraine to get the more advanced U.S. Patriot air defense systems. And Ukrainian and Turkish officials said Thursday an agreement allowing for the export of Ukrainian grain through the Black Sea will continue for another four months under its current terms. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres welcomed the extension, 
saying in a statement that the U.N. is committed to ensuring that the grain supply line continues to function smoothly. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken also praised the extension. Myanmar's military-controlled government announced Thursday it was releasing nearly 6,000 prisoners under a broad amnesty. A spokesperson for the Myanmar junta confirmed to VOA Burmese service the release of artists, activists, one minister, a top election commission official, and one minister chief from the ousted Aung San Suu Kyi government, as well as four foreigners. Nancy Pelosi, the only woman to ever be Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, announced Thursday that she would remain in Congress as Republicans take control of the chamber in January, but she will not seek a Democratic leadership position to sense her two-decade run as the party's leader. Via remote, I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, November 18, and here are some of the stories we are covering. A Liberian opposition politician says the current situation in the country points to the need for a new leadership. They believe that Master Nabera, can be the political leader who can usher in a new Liberia based on credibility, competence, and integrity. Malawi faces an unprecedented rise in cholera cases. Kenya is to vaccinate 70% of teenage girls with HPV by January. Ebola forces tourists to cancel trips to Uganda. The UN-Russia Green Deal is renewed, adverting potential food crisis. The deal removes a Russian blockade on Ukrainian ports, allowing safe passage of grain ships to world markets. And Namibia restores export permit for a Chinese mining company despite bribery investigation. Those stories plus Samson Omali Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Chairperson of Liberia's former ruling Unity Party says the current situation in Liberia points to the need for new leadership. Luther Tapet cites public corruption, rice shortages, and the delayed in payment of public servant salaries. He says the only opposition leader with the experience, integrity, and the vision to tackle the problems confronted Liberia today is 78-year-old party leader Joseph Wakai, who served as vice president during former President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's two terms in office. Liberia holds presidential elections next year. Tape was elected recently as chair of the Unity Party. He tells me he is in the United States to introduce himself to the Liberian diaspora and re-energize them in preparation for the 2023 presidential elections. Liberians in the United States want a good country. They want a country that they all can be proud of. And to be honest, each and every one of them I met have um, vented out their displeasure and disenchantment about the CDC-led government. And they're looking for the government of credibility, character, and someone who really supremely loved the country more than anything. And they believe that Master Nabera, Joseph Nyumamboikai, can be the political leader who can usher in a new Liberia based on credibility, competence, and integrity. Your party, the once ruling United Party, has gone through some transformation recently, which you mentioned brought you in as the new chairman. How are things within the party? Right now, the United Party is coming together, Liberians both home and abroad. 
and trying to strategize and uh, even collaborate with other political institutions in Liberia where we can all, you know, make sure that President Weah is a one-term president because our country is heading in the wrong direction. I'm assuming then that uh, the former vice president, uh, Joseph Wakai, is going to be the standard barrier of your party? That's correct. We have had the elections in July, and he was overwhelmingly elected as the standard bearer for our party for the next six years. So absolutely, he will be running on a unity party ticket. But of course, we also do realize that on seat the current government, we need to collaborate with other friendly political institutions. And uh, we are seeing signs, overwhelming love and signs that they are ready to collaborate with the unity party as we go into 2023. I will come back to the issue of collaboration, as you mentioned. But uh, by the time the elections come around, the former vice president might be around 79 years old. What do you say to people who say that uh, that is a very old age for someone to do such a stressful job like the president of Liberia? Well, to be honest, you know, age in this case is just a number. He's a man who is full of energy. He has the competence and experience. Look, Mr. Boti, when 2017 elections was being had, one of the things that the young people were advocating for, oh, Judge Weir is a very young and youthful person. He understands our our issues. But here we are. We have a country ruled by the 50-plus years old president, and yet his age has not produced any serious economic benefit for the citizens and the young people. So Liberians have come to realize that age is just a number. And of course, when Joseph Newman Boykai is healthy, is full of energy, and with his competence and skills and experience, uh, Liberians believe that he can be the one that can lay the new foundation for the new Liberia. You talk about collaboration with other parties. That is the view of some observers of the Liberian political climate. But the last I learned, all efforts towards uh, collaboration within the opposition had fallen apart. Where are you looking for collaboration? As you know, Mr. Bote, the collaboration has four main parties. The unity party, ELP, the uh, ANC, which is the Mr. Cummings party, and of course the Liberty Party. But uh, only one person now, the ANC, which is Mr. Cummings party, that fought apart from the collaboration. Senator Nyombli Kanga is one of the friendly political person we deal with. And of course, uh, Honorable Benina Yuri is also with us. And there are other smaller parties like the um, Rainbow Alliance and other, you know, friendly political institutions. They have all come to a realization that among all of the political leaders of Liberia right now, the only person who can defeat President George Weah is uh, Ambassador Josenia Mambarakai. So we are forming a very strong and formidable political force Hopefully, that will be announced very soon. Hopefully, the new year, January, February, and the Liberian people will get to know that no one person can go again, President, we are the win. In Africa, you need collaboration, and we are building that up right now. Mr. Tape, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, good luck with your visit to the United States. Thank you so much, Mr. Bote. It's a pleasure talking to you. That was Luther Tape, the new chairperson of Liberia's opposition United Party. He was speaking with us from Florida, USA. Malawi is struggling to contain one of the worst cholera outbreaks in years. It has spread nationwide, killing more than 250 people and infecting more than 8,000. 
Authorities and aid group have stepped up cholera vaccination and hygiene campaigns, as Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Malawian health authorities are struggling to keep a cholera outbreak that has spread to nearly all the country's 28 districts. Dora Mafurinwam is in charge of the Limbe Clinic in Blantyre. The cholera situation as of currently, we are receiving a, a lot of cases every day. Yeah. So the numbers have spiked at the moment. We're getting about maybe four or three patients per day. The situation is more critical in areas where residents use water from untreated sources like rivers where bacteria can spread the diarrheal illness. Elida Peel is a resident of Blantas Chigumula Township. She says we used to have tap water in my area, but all the taps were vandalized. And also it's very hard to access water from boreholes because most of them are not working. Health workers fear the increase in cases will overwhelm clinics. Our camp, we've got about four beds in one room and the other four beds in the other room. And most of the times they're getting full while it is a dry season, when the cholera season has not started. So we should expect more cases and we might not have enough space for everyone when the rainy season starts. Malawi started vaccinating against cholera in May with support from the World Health Organization. But community health workers say the uptake has been slow because many people shun the vaccine. Tam Chinula is a senior health surveillance assistant at Ndilande Clinic in Blanta. They often ask why we are bringing so many vaccines. She says they fear the vaccine might cause infertility. They say the vaccine is meant for children without knowing that anyone can receive the vaccine depending on the gravity of the outbreak at hand. Malawi this month received nearly 3 million doses of cholera vaccine with support from the WHO, the Global Vaccine Alliance, and the UNICEF Children Fund, UNICEF. In the meantime, health workers are educating communities on the need to get the vaccine and how to sanitize water supplies to make them safe for drinking. Lamech Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Kenya's Ministry of Health is aiming at vaccination at least 70% of teenage girls with the human papilloma virus before the end of the year. The HPV vaccine was launched in Kenya in October 2019 with the target of reaching more than half a million young girls a year. But the campaign was disrupted by the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Maureen Ojiambo reports. It has been more than two years since the vaccine against the human papilloma virus or HPV was launched in Kenya and the optimal number of girls reached remains a concern. The low uptake of the drug has been attributed to COVID-19 disruptions that led to the closure of schools as most of the targeted population are school-aged girls. The vaccine targets HPV-related illnesses such as cervical cancer and other cancers that affect the vulva, vagina and the anus. The medication also protects against the HPV strains that cause most genital warts. The head of preventive and promotive health at the Ministry of Health in Kenya, Andrew Mulwa, says that the government is working on catching up with the lost time. Most teenage girls are school-going and therefore with the long closure of schools and uh, 
we have been we had been administering outreaches for this target population through the school health program because that disrupted and uh, our target of reaching to over 90% of the adolescent girls was not attained and we went to a law of uh, 36 37% in 2021 we have however been uh, working on accelerating uh, ramping up uh, the vaccination among this group. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, more than 95% of cervical cancer cases globally are due to the human papilloma virus. HPV is the most common viral infection of the reproductive tract. Kenya, through the National Vaccines and Immunization Program, introduced the HPV vaccine into routine immunization treatments to reduce the burden of cervical cancer. Cervical cancer is the second most common types in women aged 15 to 44 years after breast cancer. Mulwa says the Ministry of Health is working closely with schools to ensure easy access to the girls through targeted government health policies. And we hope by the end of this year we will be somewhere uh, in the range of 70% uh, coverage of the target population. We are enrolling as part of the routine immunization. The vaccines are available. The vaccines are not just available at the sub-county uh, level, but they are also available at the lowest level of vaccination facilities, which is basically 90 plus percent of the primary health care facilities in this country. The vaccine focuses on young girls from the age of 10 and is administered in two doses six months apart. The World Health Organization says human papilloma virus types 16 and 18 are responsible for nearly 50% of severe cervical precancers. HPV is mainly transmitted through sexual contact and most people are infected with HPV once they are sexually active. Women living with HIV are six times more likely to develop cervical cancer compared to women without HIV. Africa accounts for 20% of the world's new cervical cancer diagnosis each year, with approximately 120,000 new cases. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ojiembo in Sacramento, California. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Butty in Washington. Today is Friday, November 18. Operators in Uganda say they are facing cancellations due to the Ebola outbreak as the virus spreads with 141 confirmed cases and 55 deaths. President Yoweri Museveni said cancellations are not necessary as the outbreak is under control. But Uganda's tourism board says Ebola is isolating the country at a time when tourism should be picking up. Alima Atumani reports from Kampala. Uganda's tourism sector is once again being hit by effects from a deadly disease. In 2021, it was the COVID-19 pandemic. This time, it's the Ebola outbreak. In his address to Ugandans Tuesday night, President Yoram Seveni said he had been informed that tourists are cancelling trips to Uganda and some had postponed hotel bookings. This comes as the outbreak spreads to a sixth district of Jinja in eastern Uganda, a favourite tourist destination. This is most unfortunate and not necessary. As you have seen, Ebola, if you follow the guidelines, it will not get you. Uganda remains safe and welcome international guests. Seveni also said lists of Ebola contacts are being provided to immigration officials to prevent the virus from spreading outside the country. 
December is usually one of the peak months for Uganda's tourism industry. Skovia Charisima is executive director of Legends Gorilla Tours, a company that provides wildlife experiences for visitors. She told VOA that several tourists have postponed their visits. I've had so far five concessions for online tours and they have pushed it to June next year. They don't say we are not going to come anymore, but they say, considering the situation that is on today, let's push this to next year. Before the pandemic, Uganda was getting a little over 600,000 tours each year. That number nosedived to about 200,000 when COVID-19 hit in 2020, costing many Ugandans their jobs. Gesa Simplicious, public relations officer for the Uganda Tourism Board, says that in between the pandemic and the Ebola outbreak, the tourism industry was slowly climbing out of its downturn. He says industry operators, some of whom borrowed heavily to revamp their facilities, are now facing a crunch as tourism dries up again. Simplicious notes other wildlife destinations like Kenya and Tanzania remain unaffected by the Ebola outbreak. And you see, this Ebola is only isolating us as a country. So it means tourists can go elsewhere for the same thing and omit Uganda. The government has tightened measures in two of the most Ebola-hit districts of Mubende and Kasanda by extending a lockdown for another 21 days. The government is also banning citizens from seeking treatment from traditional healers and trying to limit individual movement in and out of the districts. Halima Afmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. A United Nations brokered grain deal between Russia and Ukraine has been renewed during talks in Istanbul. The renewal of the agreement allows Ukrainian grain to enter world markets and is key to adverting a further surge in world food prices. Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul. The grain deal was renewed in Istanbul for a further 120 days among the UN, Russia, Ukraine and Turkey. The deal removes a Russian blockade on Ukrainian ports, allowing safe passage of grain ships to world markets. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres welcomed the renewal. I was deeply moved to know that uh, in Istanbul, uh, Turkey, uh, Ukraine, Russia and the UN had come to an agreement for the rollover of the uh, Black Sea Grain Initiative, allowing for the free exports of uh, Ukrainian grain. Ukraine is one of the world's biggest grain suppliers, especially to African and Middle East nations. Since the deal first went into effect in July, 11 million tons of grain have been exported. Russia had threatened to withdraw from the agreement, but Zao Gazimov, a Russia expert at Bonn University, said Moscow sees the grain deal as one of the last points of leverage that it has over the West in its efforts to ease crippling Western sanctions. For Russia, the grain deal is a platform to negotiate with the Western countries, and it is reluctant to withdraw from that completely. The main effort of Russia now to get some more uh, of sanctions on some of the banks like Rosselhozbank. Actually, uh, U.S. coughed out food and fertilizer shipments uh, in, in previous Deal. It's not clear whether Moscow received any concessions for renewing the grain deal. But UN Secretary General Guterres said he is committed to easing obstacles to Russian agricultural exports. I want to uh, express my deep commitment and the commitment of the UN 
to do everything possible for the smooth implementation of this agreement uh, in Istanbul uh, by the Joint Coordination Centre and also to remove the remaining obstacles to the unimpeded exports of Russian food and fertilizers essential to avoid a food crisis uh, next year too. The renewal of the grain deal is a diplomatic victory for Turkey. Moscow, Kiev and Guterres have thanked Turkish diplomatic efforts for its success. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was at the forefront of brokering the grain agreement and its continuation. Political analyst Ilhan Uzgel of the Kusa Dalga News Portal says Erdogan will see the renewal of the deal as a vindication of his stance of maintaining close ties with both his Ukrainian and Russian counterparts, a position that has drawn criticism and sparked suspicion in the West. Turkey has a kind of a balanced position. It's not party to, to the conflict, although Turkey is a member of NATO, so Turkey declares it as a war, but does not comply with the sanctions. Erdogan is trying to take advantage of, of the crisis to raise his international profile as a you know, troubleshooter or as, as a mediator in this region. Ankara's Western allies have voiced criticism and concern that Turkey was becoming a backdoor to Russia in Moscow's efforts to avoid sanctions. Observers say Erdogan is hoping his diplomatic victory will serve to silence criticism of his ties to Russia. Dorian Jones, VOA News, Istanbul. Namibia has restored a Chinese company's lithium export permit despite an ongoing investigation into a bribery and corruption scandal. Namibia's mining authority in October banned Zinfen Investments from exporting lithium ore until the investigation was finished. The company is accused of buying a mining license from a man who had acquired it illegally while the true owner was hospitalized with a brain injury. Vitalio Angula reports from Vinhook. Namibian mining authorities have backtracked on a recent decision to cancel the lithium export permit of Chinese mining outfit Xinfeng Investments. The permit was revoked last month pending investigations that have engulfed top ministry officials and led to an investigation by Namibia's Anti-Corruption Commission. Speaking to VOA, the public relations officer at the Ministry of Mines and Energy said the latest decision was necessitated by the fact that Hinfeng already had a vessel en route to Offish Bay, Namibia's Harbour Town, before the export permit was cancelled. Uh, the company will thus be allowed to transport crushed ore to Offish Bay, which will be exported as by the contractual agreement. Uh, this will then be used for the uh, industrial testing, and then this will then inform whether uh, to set up a processing plant at the mine. Lithium is used in the manufacture of electric batteries and other related products. Anti-Corruption Commission spokesperson Josefina Ngituwamata told VOA the ACC is investigating allegations of bribery and corruption against certain Ministry of Mines and Energy personnel, but is not in a position to reveal their names. The investigation in this particular case has um, then begun. At this point in time, the Anti-Corruption Commission is not able to name any potential persons of interest or any entity. Um, hence, um, our inquiry or the investigation is basically uh, focused on the complaint as it has been received. According to the complaint, a Namibian company, Orange River Mining, allegedly applied for 
and received rights to a mining area that was owned by a man hospitalized due to a car accident. The rights were granted to Orange River's owner, Peter Shifoku, who immediately sold them to Xinfeng Investments for a reported $3 million. Several officials, including the former Commissioner of Mines and former Minister of Mines and Energy, are accused of taking bribes to facilitate the transfer of the license. Several officials, including the former Commissioner of Mines and Minister of Mines and Energy, are accused of taking bribes to facilitate the transfer of the license. One of the accused is Ralph Muyamba, a cousin of Shifuaku, and a former technical advisor to the Minister of Mines and Energy. Muyamba told VOA that his cousin did benefit from a mining license issued by the ministry and came into a large sum of money as a result. But Muyamba says he played no influential role in the process as he does not sit on the committee that recommends mining rights and licenses for allocation by the minister. The gentleman applied, mm. like any other person. It went to the committee. The committee assessed and recommended for granting, mm. which came to the minister for approval. So the decision to grant the rights came from the committee. Mm. I'm not a member of the committee. I, I'm no, I was never given even a chance to be a co- how, how was I supposed to influence a number of seven people? Mm. Unfortunately, what happened is that he turned out to be my cousin. Mm. For whatever reason, because he went and sold these rights to a Chinese company. Mm. And he made money. So for whatever reason, people think, ah, I'm the one who influenced. It's not me who influenced. Unfortunately, he did what he needed to do with his own constitutional right. The Chinese lithium scandal was given as a reason for the removal of Erasmus Shivolo as mining commissioner in Muyamba's abrupt resignation last month. Mining remains the single biggest contributor to Namibia's GDP and accounts for about 8% of the country's foreign exchange earnings. Vitalio Angula for VOA News, Ventuk, Namibia. And that's it for this Friday, November 18th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. I am James Barton, Washington, wishing that you will have